Our reading this morning is from Exodus, and we'll be reading two passages, one from Exodus 35, so if you look that one up first, and then we'll be moving over to Exodus 40 for the second passage. Exodus 35, starting at verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles, and all its utensils, and the bread of the, of the, uh, of the presence, the lampstand also for the light, with its utensils, and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil, and the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles, and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram's skins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. 
all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. And moving to Exodus 40 and verse 17. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle, the door of the tent of meeting, excuse me, and offered it on the burnt offering uh, and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we uh, pray as we come to God's word? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the opportunity we've had to spend this term in Exodus. We thank you for all that you've shown us uh, about your character uh, and what it means to live uh, as people of God. We pray that you'd be with us now. uh, Help us to listen to your word. uh, Help us to take it to heart uh, and live by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Will things ever be the way they were? An argument, a betrayal, some moment in the relationship 
that looks like it might change everything, can they move past it and go back to how it was before? It's a staple sort of question in all forms of drama. And it might be what we're asking at the end of Exodus 34. Remember last week we witnessed a car crash. It looked like everything was going completely wrong. Israel had got bored, waiting for Moses to come back down the mountain where he was meeting with God. And so the people made a way to access God for themselves. It wasn't quite that they were uh, turning their back on God. They just wanted him to work how they wanted, uh, not the way that he'd revealed to them. But through Moses stepping up and fulfilling the role that God had given him as mediator for the people, God was merciful and they escaped the punishment that they deserved. But is the plan still on? The covenant is renewed with Moses, but is God still coming near to dwell among them in the tabernacle? Will it go back to the way it was before? Well, this morning we're going to see uh, that the plan continues God's way. And the plan continues. God comes near. First, the plan continues God's way. Well, at the start of chapter 35, it's almost like the golden calf never happened. See, at the end of chapter 31, God tells Moses about the Sabbath. At the start of 35, Moses tells the people about the Sabbath. It's not quite the same before, but it looks like this is a second chance. A chance to do things God's way, not the DIY golden calf way. And the two things that we see about this this God's way of doing things. In the first part of uh, the reading that Graham Uh, brought to us in chapter 35. Did you notice how the people react to being asked to provide the building materials for the tabernacle? Have a look at verse 21. They came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution. You see, the people are willing to provide everything that they can to get this tabernacle built. In fact, they build They bring far more than is needed. Chapter 36, verse 8. The people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work, and more. How many charities would love to have a giving day like that? So what could have prompted such an extravagant generosity in a people who, in Exodus, seemed to be better known for grumbling or even turning their back on Moses and the Lord. It can only be one thing, surely. Gratitude. Gratitude that the Lord relented from his anger against them. Thankfulness that he has renewed the covenant with Moses. Thankfulness that despite their sin, they're still able to build a dwelling place for God among them. Since this is our final week in Exodus, it's worth going back to where things started. Remember how we found the Israelites back in chapter 1. Oppressed in slavery in Egypt, 
forced to build store cities for the pharaoh. And in chapter 5, they, they had to keep up that pace of building, even when they weren't be gi- being given the key ingredient for bricks, the straw. They had to go and find it for themselves. Remember, that's what it was like for them under the pharaoh who said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? But now, because of God's grace and mercy, everything is different. Now they're building not cities to hoard grain for a foreign king, but a place for God himself to dwell among them. They're giving with willing hearts and building with skill and craftsmanship, empowered by the Spirit, not laboring under whips. And the building material, they're not having to scrabble in the dirt to find enough straw to meet their quotas. The gold and silver and bronze and fine linen and colored yarns that they give so generously, it's what God enabled them to plunder from the Egyptians as they left at Passover. Do you see what deciding to go with God's way means for Egypt, for Israel? Do you see what their forgiveness frees them to do? No more slavery, no more grumbling, but willing hearts. The other thing that stands out as we read uh, the account of the building of a tabernacle is the phrase that comes up again and again, 18 times, in fact, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, we didn't read uh, 36 to 39 earlier. That would have taken all morning. Uh, But if you flick through as you were waiting for the service to start, you probably noticed that it looks quite familiar. It looks very like chapters 25 to 31 that we looked at with Mike two weeks ago. In fact, if you uh, have got it in front of you, turn to uh, 28 and verse 6, which is page 130 in the uh, journals. And I'm going to read chapter 39 and verse 2. And why don't you play spot the difference? He made the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And they hammered out gold leaf, and he cut it into threads to work into the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and into the fine twined linen in skilled design. They made for the ephod attaching soldier pe- shoulder pieces and joined to it at its two edges and the skillfully woven band on it was of one piece with it and made like it of gold blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen as the Lord had commanded Moses they made the onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold filigree and engraved like the engravings of a signet according to the names of the sons of Israel He set them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod to be stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so it goes on. There's a few differences in orders, uh, some instructions about how to use things that aren't included in this bit. But I, I picked that section almost at random, and it's exactly the same, isn't it? One is instructions for building, the other is instructions being followed. So why? Why four chapters of God's word that are almost identical 
to what's come only three chapters beforehand. Well, actually, that's the point. They're identical. See, the people have followed exactly the instructions that they're given. Now, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who reads the instructions back to front before I start building anything. But I guess lots of you, uh, when you get a, a new box, a uh, flat pack, uh, the instructions are just the thing that you have to get out of the way in order to be able to get to the good bit. But how often does that lead to hours of frustration and a set of shelves that looks more like a chair? The people decided to go their own way and ended up with a golden calf. Now the people do exactly as the Lord had commanded Moses, and they end up with the tabernacle. Now it's important to remember the, the order of this story. This isn't a, a people desperately trying to appease an angry God, uh, following uh, every command to try and earn anything. They're not attempting to earn anything because it's already been given to them. This is a people who went their own way, but who were shown mercy. A people who, having been forgiven, are now free to obey the God who showed them mercy. This is God's way. And it's God's way today, too. We go our own way every day. As Rob showed us last week, we make tweaks to our idea of who God is so that he's what we want him to be, not who he's revealed himself to be. But through Jesus, we are forgiven. And that means we're free to come willingly to serve and obey him. I wonder how you feel about the Christian life at the moment. Has it become a list of things to do and not to do? Time, money, uh, energy that it feels like you're forced to give. That's not what God wants. Remember that God has already completely forgiven you. Nothing can change that. Nothing that you do can earn any more forgiveness. Look at the Israelites and how they found life to be like when they live God's way. I'm not saying life is easy, but it is much, much better than the slavery that comes before. The plan continues in God's way. And the plan continues as God comes near. So everything has been made just as instructed, and the people bring it to Moses. And it feels like we're reaching a climax. We finally got to what everything has been leading up to since the people reached Sinai. Perhaps what the whole book has been leading up to. God coming near. Moses sets up each part of the tabernacle in turn, the tent, the altars, the veil, all the gold and silver and precious stones and expensive woods and fine cloth. It's an amazing creation. I use that word deliberately, creation. See, there are lots of pointers that this tabernacle and the story of Exodus is, in fact, a recreation of what was lost in the fall. There are lots of aspects of the design that reflect the Garden of Eden, 
There's echoes of trees and flowers. There's the way it's set up with the entrance to the east. And in this final section, there's the language that is used to describe the building. Listen to these words from chapters 39 and 40. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. So Moses finished the work. Sounds like Genesis 1, right? At creation, God saw all that he had made, and it was good. At this recreation, Moses saw all that the people had made, and it was just as the Lord had commanded. In Eden, God walked in the garden. Now in this garden-like tabernacle, God has a place to be near his people again. It's a step forward in reversing the fall. The people are about to be closer to God than they have been since Adam and Eve ate that fruit. But looking back, we know that it's not the final stage of the plan, don't we? God isn't going to be satisfied with one tent in one nation. Although Israel was called to be light to the nations, they didn't do that particularly well. So instead, this recreation is a picture of the new creation, a taster of what's to come, a day when everything will be made new, And it will be more glorious than all the gold of the tabernacle, created to God's exact design. And there in the new creation, God won't live in a tent behind a veil in the center of a camp that moves around. He'll be in a city, and we will all be able to see and access him. So the tabernacle is built It's going to happen. God coming near to dwell with his people. And then verse uh, 34 of chapter 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. At last, what a day that must have been. Moses tightens the final guy rope, does a final check, closes the courtyard gate, stands outside to survey their work. It lights up. The tent is hidden from view as God's glory shines out. This is what they've been waiting for, what they came here for. Let's zoom out again and and see that this is what the whole of Exodus has been about. Remember, right at the start, Moses left Egypt and met God on the mountain at the burning bush. One man on the mountain with God. Then the people were brought out of Egypt to come and worship at that same mountain. The nation near the mountain, but not able to go up. The Lord descends on the mountain and speaks to Moses. One man on the mountain with God, going between uh, God and the nation at the bottom. Then the elders uh, went up and saw the pavement of sapphire under God's feet and ate and drank. So there were 70 men on the mountain with God. 
And then we move down and Moses enters the tent of meeting to meet with God outside the camp. And then Moses' face shines having spoken to the Lord, but he has to cover it with a veil. Do you see what's been happening? God has been moving closer and closer down the mountain towards the camp. Now they have the tabernacle right at the center of the camp, the center of everything, and the glory of the Lord is filling it. At last, the people living God's way with willing hearts and obedience can see him right there. And there the glory stays throughout all their journeys. Wherever they go, they have a visible sign of God's presence with them right at their center. But... Did you notice the but? They've built this amazing tabernacle for God to dwell in. And that's what he's doing. But the other function of the tabernacle isn't working so well. Remember, the tabernacle was also supposed to be the tent of meeting. Yet, verse 35, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God is dwelling among them as close as he's ever been. There's no more traipsing up and down the mountain. But Moses can't get in. And if Moses can't get in, then the people have no chance, do they? God has come near the people, but now the people can't get near him. What's gone wrong? Well, it's not the tabernacle. We've seen already that they built it exactly as God commanded In fact, it's precisely because it is successful in being a place for God to dwell that Moses can't get in. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, it says. See, God is holy, and despite their rescue and forgiveness, the people are not. For them to really meet with God, something needs to take their punishment And we're going to leave that cliffhanger there. You'll have to keep reading into Leviticus, which is really more of a part two than another book, to find out how they're able to enter the tent of meeting while the glory of the Lord is dwelling in it. Except for us, it's not really a cliffhanger, is it? We know that Jesus is not just the ultimate tabernacle where God comes not to dwell only among his people, but actually in a person. And we know that Jesus is also the ultimate sacrifice through whom we can not only meet with God, but be united with him. The tabernacle and the law that we read about in Exodus have so much to teach us about what it looks like to live God's way, what it takes for God to come near and dwell among his people. But we don't have to wonder if it will work. Nor do we have to start working on our tent-making skills. By coming into the world as the God-man, Jesus made a permanent way for people and God to dwell together. It may be that uh, you've never experienced being forgiven and having God draw near as you live his way. In Exodus, we've seen a glimpse of just how amazing that is. 
Next weekend is Easter. And so there's no better time to come to the cross and receive the offer of forgiveness that Jesus gives. If you're already following Jesus, then Exodus reminds us what it looks like to live as a forgiven people. Willing hearts, obeying out of gratitude. People free to serve a new master. It shows us just how amazing it is that God that we have God dwelling among us, not in a tent, but in each one of us by the Spirit in the church. And it points us forwards to when the recreation will be complete and we will live with God in that new city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus who came and tabernacled among us. We thank you that by his sacrifice we have access to you, that the veil was removed. Help us to always remember and be thankful for your mercy in forgiving us and help us to live your way in response to that. Help us to continue to reflect on these words, to know that you dwell with us and to look forward to that day when the recreation will be complete, uh, the the plan finally finished, and we will dwell with you forever. Amen. Here, we're going to move to our questions now. So, um, Rob, if you could come down, please. And uh, Tim, and I'll fire up the phone. There are some tricky questions here. I haven't looked at them yet. I'm rather excited. Um, for those of you that don't well, know, this morning. is my day job, is asking questions as a primary school teacher. So I'm rather looking forward to this. <laughs> um, good. Now, questions about today are for Tim, and other questions are for Rob. I haven't studied these yet, which is rather unfortunate for you. Um, but there is one that I have that we were sent through ahead of time. So I'm going to start with that one, and that one's for Rob. Um, so here it is. Rob, in Exodus 32, yep. verse 13, Moses asked the Lord to remember his promise. So Moses goes to the Lord and says, Lord, remember what you've promised. Um, God won't have forgotten his covenant, his contract. So why did Moses do that? And follow up, do we need to ask the Lord to remember his promise? Yeah, Why? Thanks for the question, and great to have advanced questions. Um, the word remember doesn't quite mean uh, what we tend to use it to mean. So we think um, remember means, you know, you've gone out, you've left the oven on, and you remember you've left the oven on. Um, there is that sense in the Bible, but it's a bit broader than that. So um, you'll remember that when Noah... Um, when God sends a flood on the earth, he remembers Noah, uh, we're told in chapter 8 of Genesis. Now, it doesn't mean God's kind of forgotten Noah. He's been speaking to Noah. He's been preparing Noah. But it's a kind of bring into mind. Uh, also, in Exodus chapter 2, um, God, we read, remembers his covenant as his people cry out to him. And again, he knows his people. He knows they're there. But it's a bring into mind. So it's a kind of, um, Moses is kind of just bringing it to the forefront of God's mind not because he's forgotten. 
Um, the second part of the question, I think, um, yes. yes, I think we should absolutely pray in line with God's promises. I really do. Um, you see that time and time again throughout Scripture that God says something, and our role in praying is to pray through what God has promised. So, um, not because God's forgotten, but because God delights to answer our prayers in line with his promises. That's what Jesus means when he says, pray in my name, and I think we should do that. Thank you very much. Um, good. Let's, um, I didn't realize it'd be so hard to ask questions when they're here. Normally, they just come <laughs> from here in the day job. Right, sorry. Uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a Tim question. Okay. Uh, let's go to the top. The Israelites were given specific instructions it's one word answer really are we given specific instructions today uh yes well i guess it depends on what you mean by specific instructions we are given um a specific instruction um in the new testament for instance in the you know, the great commission to go and um, make disciples of all nations that's a specific instruction but um god um there's a there's a change in the way that god kind of speaks to us um in, in the Old Testament, it's very, um, you know, there's ongoing revelation and he's, he's giving um, specific instructions to a specific people in a specific time. Um, in the New Testament, uh, we are, uh, revelation has, has been completed. Um, we have the Bible uh, as it is. Um, and we're, sort of, we're in the gap waiting for uh, the point at which Jesus returns again. So we, we already have um, everything that we need in order to be able to live God's way uh, in that, that gap. Um, and so that means, I guess, there are less, less specific things in terms of go and build a tent. Um, but it doesn't mean that we don't have everything um, that we, we need. So it's, it's a yes and look in the Bible, just to summarize. Yes. Good. Because I'm only saying that that's for my own understanding because I was briefly looking here. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. Rob, I'm going to come back to you. I think this is similar to what we just had. Um, Chapter 32, verse 11, Moses sought God's favor for his anger against his people. Can we pray like that? Yeah, we have had this. Um, Yeah, I'll I'll finish it just in case there is more we need to say. As Moses did, verses accepting his will when things seem difficult. Yes, that follow-up. Let's have that follow-up. Yes, um, absolutely. So as I said, I think... Where I was a little bit wary when I was preaching that last week is that there is a danger we think we're just Moses. And um, the reason I'm a little bit nervous about that is because I think Moses is looking quite like Jesus at this point. And we're the people who uh, are under the judgment. We've um, we've sinned, we've banged the rights. And um, Moses steps in uh, like Jesus steps in. So um, I really want to underline that point that actually it's not us praying for ourselves or praying for other people that um, somehow means we're forgiven, but the fact that Jesus has done that, and he has done that, he's finished, as Tim was reminding us this morning. Um, that said, I think that then there's a secondary knock-on to pray for people in line with what Jesus has already achieved. Uh, so praying for people that they come to know him and praying for ourselves that we come to know him more and more. Um, yeah, that's probably what I can say on that. Thank you. Really good. Um, back to you again, Rob. Is it, I, I've got the long and the short of it today, haven't we? It just <laughs> occurs to me. Um, Rob, who were the third and fourth generations? Uh, presumably that's referencing to Exodus 34 when God declares his name. Um, if I've got that wrong, please let it me know. It doesn't say on the question. It doesn't say on the question. 
Um, I think it's less specifically who's the third and fourth generations. I think it's a way of expressing God's, um, the fact that God is just and he does uh, see sin. Um, So the point is he's gracious and compassionate. He forgives for a thousand generations. Um, Again, not specifically a thousand. You can't trace that down to sort of 99, uh, 999, a thousand, Mm. and then it stops. It's not that idea. It's God's abounded in grace. But also, he does judge sin uh, to the third and fourth generation, uh, but obviously pointing to the fact that he does that ultimately in Jesus. Thank you. Now, we've had five minutes of questions, so I'm just going to interject my own just to lighten it slightly, and then we'll go back in. (laughs) Is it true that if you want to stand behind one of these, you have to have a beard? (laughs) Uh, Yes, it is, yeah. Thank you. And I'm on the understanding that uh, from Andrew, Andrew filled me in that Caroline had organised that in the week as well. Is that right, Caroline? There's some... Yes, anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> Good. You see, you see, you've had a breathe, a fresh of life, and back in we go. Um, if we think an idol is in someone's life, should we admonish them? Surely this is something we can only discover for ourselves personally. How can we truly know a man's heart? Now, I think that casts back a little bit, doesn't it, to... Um, the golden calf. So I'm going to look towards Rob, but if Tim is keen to say something on this, we can have a follow-up. Are you sending the questions in? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm just voting. <laughs> I'm voting down the ones I don't want. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. So um, should we admonish them? Um, uh, I, my mind goes to Jesus's um, command to um, look at the plank in our own eye before we look at our brother's, uh, the speck in our brother's or sister's eye. So it's probably worth having that in the background. Um, I don't think our job is to admonish, but I do think our job is to point God, people to God's word, uh, and God, by his spirit, will do that work. So, yeah, I don't think it's for us to go around, as, as the question rightly says, and say, I think you've got an idol in your life. We all have. Jesus, that's why we need Jesus desperately. Um, but uh, as we come to God's word, and I, I hope you've experienced that this morning, I have, we, we see things new and we, uh, bit by bit, God uses his word to, um, to change us, to shave off uh, the, the bits of idolatry or the wrong ideas about him. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't say admonish people, that probably isn't going to work well, uh, but do, we do as a church family want to be pointing people to God's word and people outside the church family as well. Very good and general pointing rather than, have you read this verse? Oh, exactly, yeah. Yes. Sorry, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like we've been doing this morning. Good, yeah. yes, Thank you. yes. Thanks. I think that forms a nice segue into this question for Tim. Several times in chapter 35, we see the people's hearts are stirred and their spirits moved. Generally, it's thought that only the prophets had the Holy Spirit, but is this him working in the people? Nice, easy yes or no again. <laughs> um, and I'm not going to say yes or no. Um, yeah, thanks for the question. Um, that's a really good point. And I think we're told, uh, just, just after the bit that we read um, in verse 31 of chapter 5, that uh, God had filled um, Beziel, who's kind of the master cross, um, craftsman. He'd filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, all the craftsmanship. Um, so it's definitely they're doing things that they wouldn't be able to do without God. Um, and, you know, we've seen what the Israelites are like throughout Exodus. Um, and now, now they're coming and giving um, generously. Um, so it's, it's certainly something that they're, 
they're not able to do uh, without God. Um, but again, there is, a, there is a change in the New Testament in um, what having the Spirit of God, God means, we're told. Yeah, that God, by His Spirit, dwells in, in each one of us, um, which, is, which is different to how um, the Spirit of God works in people in the Old Testament, um, I think. Thank yes. you. Thank you. We've got one final question here, but I'm just going to ask another. There's um, Rob Phillips. Oh, um, there's a company called Phillips who sell beard trimmers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any connection? Uh, yes, uh, I'm the manufacturer. <laughs> Thank you. Very good. Nice little sideline. <laughs> final question, and I, I really like this question, and I've saved it last, and I, I think it ties into the last, not the beard question, the one before that that you answered. <laughs> Um, because I think it's about how to help us read God's word. So I want to ask this um, to you, Rob, but also um, if you've anything to add on this, Tim, we'll let you. Um, I was given strict instructions, don't bounce the questions. (laughs) Anyway, why is there so much detail about the tabernacle, etc., in the Bible, and how does this help me to live the life God wants me to? I think it's a very helpful question, particularly if Tim suggested reading Leviticus next, you know. Or, you know, the middle chapters of Job, I always find tricky. Um, I mean, I feel this is one for Tim, but I'm happy to give my um, thoughts on it. Um, I think part of the reason is to get us excited about being in God's presence. Uh, So Tim did a bit of that in his sermon, which I thought was really helpful, going, actually, this is not only, it not only looks back to the uh, Garden of Eden and God's presence, but also looks forward uh, to when we will dwell with God in his city face to face. So all the descriptions about the kind of precious stones point us back, but also if you read Revelation, uh, you'll see that actually a lot of those references are put in there. But most wonderfully, and I thought Tim was very helpful on this, is seeing actually what was special about Eden was that God was there and accessible, and uh, God will be accessible for he is now through the Lord Jesus, and one day we will see him face to face. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, the question is starting from exactly the right place. How does this help me to live the life God wants me to? Um, everything in God's word is there um, for, to, to show us um, what is God, God is like and what it means to live uh, for him. Um, and so that is the question to be asking um, of, of these sections where we get the um, long bits that it's a struggle to read. Um, and it's a question to ask of, of every other bit. Um, of the Bible, how how does this help us? How, what does this teach us about God? Uh, what does it teach us about living for Him? Um, and yeah, the, these bits about the tabernacle are um, so so much that we've talked about over the last few weeks. Can I, can I just have ten more seconds? Sorry, <laughs> because Tim's very helpfully there. See, it might sound. How does that kind of? If I say we look back to Eden, we look forward to a new creation. We might think to ourselves, well you're not giving me something to do. But actually, a lot of the Bible is really not giving us something to do, but getting us to see the world really as it is. Um, We all make stories about where we've come from, the sort of childhood we have, uh, where we want to be, where we want to be in the future, what's kind of put us together. Uh, One of the things the Bible does is get us to have a story, an overarching story about who we are as a people, what God's like, and where the future's going. So don't don't sort of brush over these things and think there's not a command here for me to do X, Y, and Z. Actually, meditating, reflecting on these things, getting excited about them will trigger 
um, our response in our lives as we kind of digest them. I'm, I'm going to have 10 seconds, and you can <laughs> listen to what they say to it. But um, I shared with you like a pulling back of the curtain. I wasn't allowed to bounce the questions. None of you knew that. None of you at home knew that either. A bouncing back. I wasn't allowed to do that. I pulled back the curtain on what's happening here up at the front kind of thing. Um, that essentially, when you read the Bible, it's a pulling back on the curtain of actually the realities of the unseen realities of life. Is that? Yep. They've nodded. Yep. Good. Thank you. Not because I wanted to have the last word he has to say. Just, I'm, it's the primary school teacher. Everyday examples help. Right. Good. Thank you. Thank Let's you, everyone, for your questions. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Very good.